With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This week we're turning to probably what is a more familiar judge. It's probably the most common one spoken of from the pulpit, Gideon. And in the past two weeks we've read from the passages that demonstrate how God uses ordinary people in their weakness to accomplish great things. And this is a repeated theme in Judges and in the rest of the Bible. God doesn't usually choose the powerful or the rich or the saintly to do his work. He chooses the weak, the poor, and the sinners. And he does this so that when these great things are accomplished, we will know that it wasn't us, it was God who accomplished them. In 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29, Paul tells us, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. And this is good news for us weaklings. God can use us. In fact, God prefers to use people like you and I. And I think it's because the weak often begin with a trait that's missing from the strong. We begin with humility. God uses people who, in their humility, often have more of a can't-do attitude than a can-do attitude. And God doesn't spend time convincing these people that they are wrong, that they can do great things. God shows them that when they trust in him, he can do great things through them. And when we trust in him and what he calls us to do, God will accomplish it. Well, what does that mean if you aren't ordinary? If you are super special and talented, well, the good news is God can use you too. And if you're sitting here today wondering if God can use such a brilliant, talented person like yourself, the good news is he can, but the bad news is it may involve some humbling before he does. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the scripture we just read, was a brilliant Jewish theologian. He was trained by one of the greatest teachers in Israel, and he was respected and powerful in his community when God called him. But when God called him, he blinded him. And he made Paul go humble himself before Ananias to ask for healing. A man who he would have zealously persecuted before God called him. And Paul learned that pride has no part in a servant's heart. He completed this, his thought in 1 Corinthians in verses 31 through, 30 through 31. He said, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's not accomplished by our own strength. It's foolish to boast in our own strength. Instead, what we boast in, we boast in the righteousness and the holiness and the redemption of Jesus Christ. We can come before God because of Jesus' righteousness, not our own. But the judge we will be studying today didn't have a problem with pride. He was humble in his weakness. Today we'll be reading about Gideon 
and the day that God called him to, to save Israel. If you'd stand, I'm going to read Judges 6, verses 11 through 24 today. Judges 6, beginning with verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place, it on, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, A sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abia's rites. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for your word and everything we can learn from it, of your relationship to us, to mankind. Use it richly this morning to touch our hearts, to teach us about you and about what you expect from us. Please use it richly today. Open us to your message. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Please be seated. I've been doing a judge a week. I can't do that with Gideon. Gideon is several chapters long. If I did that, we'd be here longer than we were last week. So <laughs> I broke it up. Today we're talking about the call of Gideon. And chapter 6, that we didn't read, but if you look back at chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, it begins with a sadly familiar refrain in Judges. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And once again, God gave them over to their sin, and they were oppressed, this time by the Midianites. And this appears to be worse than any oppression we have read about so far. The people were not just required to pay tribute like they were in the time of Ehud, or forced to deter from less safe paths to, to avoid a chariot trampling like they were with Barak and Deborah. 
Here they were afraid for their lives constantly. Judges 6, 2 reads, Because of the power of the Midianites was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. The people were hiding in caves. They were scraping by, because whenever they planted crops, the Midianites would come in and harvest the crops. And not only harvest the crops, but they would set up camps in the, in the fields, ravage Israel's livestock, and destroy the land by camping on it. The writer compares the Midianites to swarms of locusts. And so the Israelites here were starving. They were huddled in caves and they were desperate. And eventually they do what God intends them to do in the first place. They turn to him for help. But this time a deliverer is not immediately sent. This time God sends a prophet to them to remind them why this was happening. And the prophet tells them very clearly in verses 8 through 10 in this chapter. He says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up from Egypt out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave them your land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. And this is kind of where we pick up in this passage. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. And a wine press, of course, is not where you thresh wheat. It's a shallow pit in the ground where grapes would be crushed, either by people trotting on them, kind of walking on them, or by a large stone to extract the juices of the grapes. Gideon's not juicing grapes, he's threshing wheat. And I, think, I was trying to remember, I think when Scott talked about Gideon at one point, he passed around a kernel of wheat so you could see it. It was a few years ago at this point. But threshing is a process where you take the harvested wheat, which would be on the left, and you take out these small kernels from it, which is almost impossible to do by hand. Usually this process, you need to crush the wheat so that these kernels fall out. Usually this process would be done somewhere where there's a strong breeze because the shaft would blow away and the kernels would stay. Often it would be done on a hilltop, preferably with some livestock to help trample and crush the shaft, like this. So the oxen would walk around, the farmer would throw the wheat in the air, the wind would blow the shaft away, and then they'd remove all the stalks and the grain would be remaining. This is not what Gideon was doing. He was stuck in a wine press. And this illustrates Israel's desperate plight. The people were starving. So first of all, Gideon didn't have a large amount of wheat, like these people in the picture. He had a very small amount. Still, it would have been better for him to do it out in the open with a bit of a breeze, but he was not doing that. He was hiding in a pit because he was afraid if the Midianites saw him, they'd come and take even his small amount of grain. And Gideon here is beating the wheat with a stick. And the angel of the Lord comes and he sits in a nearby tree. And this is kind of what Gideon would have been doing. Maybe not with a mallet, maybe just with a stick. And it's dull and it's repetitive. It was probably given to Gideon because the rest of his family were doing more important things. And here he is, he's beating this wheat, he's separating the shaft, he's beating the grain. And it's the type of work that takes very little thought. So Gideon's mind was probably wandering on other things. 
I think it's safe to assume that part of what he was thinking about was the Midianite oppression. And he was fuming about Israel's plight. How could he think of anything else when he's hiding in a pit from the Midianites? He's hammering his meager supply of grain. And I think maybe even his hammering got a little bit more intense as he fumed. Because eventually when he pops up and he sees the angel of the Lord under a tree, he's greeted with the words, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Which is kind of humorous when we think about it. Pops out. Here he is with his stick that he's been fighting, and he's greeted with, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I don't think this was sarcasm. I think the statement was more prophetic than sarcastic. Certainly Gideon, in a pit, beating grain with a stick, did not appear to be a mighty warrior. But God is fond of giving people new names to indicate not what they are in their own strength, but what they can become in the power of God. Simon the volatile fisherman became Peter the rock. Abram the father of none became Abraham the father of the multitude. And here Gideon, the cowering wheat thresher, will become Gideon, the mighty warrior. The angel of the Lord sees in Gideon a mighty warrior because he knows what Gideon can do in the power of the Lord. Gideon may not have been a mighty warrior up till now, but now he is, and he is because the Lord is with him. Gideon, however, tired and probably feeling especially non-warrior-ish, and perhaps a little sensitive about being caught hiding in a wine press, seems to feel that this statement is not all that complimentary. And he responds a little abrasively. He says, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The angel of the Lord must have looked much like any other man. Certainly a, a man that Gideon respected because he starts with, pardon me, my Lord, but not as an angel of the Lord. It's more a reaction of a man addressing an elder or respected leader. But then Gideon asks two questions that he probably would never have dared to ask of God. But I think they're questions each of us ask at one time or another. First, why is God allowing me to suffer? And then why isn't God answering our prayers? Where is he? And that's what Gideon's asking. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? And I'm not going to tell you this morning that I know why each of us suffer. I know that the root cause of our suffering is that we live in a fallen world. But I cannot always discern why God allows some of us to suffer and some of us not to. In Gideon's case, however, we are given the answer by the prophet of God earlier in this chapter when he's sent to tell the Israelites that they're in this trouble because they have not listened to God, but have instead worshipped foreign gods. Israel is suffering oppression because God told them specifically not to do something, and they did it anyway. That's why Israel is suffering this time. They did not listen to God. They were not obedient to his command. And while I don't believe that this is the only reason we suffer in this world, I do believe that it often is. I do absolutely believe that we suffer because of our own foolish disobedience and that God uses our circumstances, our suffering, to draw us back to himself like he did in the case of the Israelites. 
Sometimes God uses suffering like an alarm clock to wake us up, or perhaps like a fire alarm. But I believe that sometimes we suffer also because, not because we don't do God's will, but because we do God's will, because we are obedient. Because in Acts 14.22, Paul and Barnabas teach us that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I was listening recently to a pastor online, and I heard something that struck me. He said that Christ didn't come to earth to defeat suffering. He came to earth to defeat death. And Jesus did defeat death, so that now even in our suffering, in our hope, we have hope. 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So Gideon's first question, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us, had already been answered by the prophet. But his second question, where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt, was about to be answered. Because we see in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And you may notice here on the screen or in your Bibles that the being here who is first referred to for us as the angel of the Lord is now referred to as the Lord himself. And whenever you see the Lord capitalized, I'm sure many of you know this in the Bible, in the Old Testament, this is the very name of God. This is Jehovah or Yahweh. Lord in all caps means God himself. So here when we see this discussion, we see the Lord talking to Gideon, and Gideon referring him to him as the Lord, but not the Lord God, just a Lord. So when we read of the angel of the Lord, we aren't really reading of an angel, but a visible representation of God himself. When we read this, there's a special name for this. This is called a theophany. And we see this happen a handful of times in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord appears to Hagar when she flees from Sarah. The angel of the Lord appears to Abraham as he raises the knife to sacrifice Isaac. To Moses in the burning bush. And to Joshua right before the battle of Jericho. And here in Judges, to Gideon, and later to Samson's parents. And in this passage, I think it's especially jarring for us because Gideon asks, where is God? And why isn't God doing anything for us? And we see here that God turns to him and replies. And he says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? The reply is, I'm here, Gideon. I'm right in front of you. And I'm, my solution is to send you. And we know, that Gideon, we know that Gideon is speaking to God, but Gideon doesn't realize this. The author of Judges here is using a literary device called dramatic irony for all you English people. This is when the reader or the audience knows something that the character does not. So here we as the reader understand something Gideon does not. It's used sometimes for humor's sake and sometimes for special emphasis. And I think it is a little humorous here 
that the first thing that was said to Gideon was the Lord is with him, which in a very literal sense, the Lord is with him. He's there. But I think mainly it's here for emphasis. Here we know that Gideon is talking to God, but Gideon does not recognize God. And when I read this, I wonder how many times I may have missed God's influence or presence in my own life. Sometimes I'm praying and God has already answered my prayer in an unexpected way. Or he later answers my prayer and I don't even realize his blessing. This week I was thinking a lot of of Guy and how the doctor had discovered a 70% blockage in his heart. And I remember as a church praying for healing for him and he went in for a stress test later that week and the doctors didn't find a reason for concern. So puzzled by the results, of course, the doctor went in and looked at the blockages and discovered that Guy had 20 or 30% blockages, but not a 70% in one place. And of course, the medical explanation is that the cumulative blockages appeared to be a more major blockage, which makes perfect sense. But I have to wonder if perhaps we missed an answer to prayer. I missed an answer to prayer. We prayed for healing, and we were surprised that healing occurred. Did we miss a blessing? And are we more comfortable with the idea of a medical explanation than a divine explanation? And I don't have a clear answer for this, but it's something I have been reflecting on this week, so I'm here to share it with you so that you can spend some time puzzling over it too. Gideon's reply reveals his continuing ignorance about who he is addressing. He says, pardon me, my Lord, not the Lord, my Lord. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Gideon says, no, sir, I think you're misunderstanding me. I want the omnipotent God to act to save Israel. You know, the God who convinced Pharaoh to release us from Egypt with the plagues. The God who fed us manna in the wilderness. The God who tore down the walls of Jericho. That's who I want to save Israel. Not me. I can't do it. And the Lord answers, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon in his reply is absolutely right. He can't do it. There's no way that he, the least of a family that belongs to the least of a clan in Manasseh, can do it. Just like there's no way that Barak and his poorly armed infantry could hope to defeat a large Canaanite army with 900 iron chariots. Their hope isn't found in their own strength. It isn't because of any strength that Gideon has that Israel will be freed. The Lord answered, I will be with you. Gideon here doesn't need to trust in his own strength. He has no strength to trust in. He makes that clear. Gideon needs to trust God and God's strength. And God will use Gideon to fulfill God's purpose. Gideon, the Lord is with you. And the Lord is sending you. And the Lord will be with you as you are obedient to his sending. Gideon begins to catch on that perhaps this man he is speaking to is more than he appears to be. And he asks if he could bring an offering And the man agrees to stay as he does. And he brings the man an offering, but instead of eating the offering, the man instructs that he put put it on a rock and pour out the broth, and it's consumed by fire. 
And Gideon finally realizes exactly who was here before him. And as the angel disappears, Gideon is struck with fear. Because to see God is to die. He knows that God was not with him figuratively, as he assumed, but God was literally standing before him. But as the angel of the Lord disappears, the Lord speaks to him. And the Lord reassures him and tells him he is not going to die. And Gideon builds an altar on that spot, and he dedicates it to the Lord of peace. Here in this passage, Gideon was given a task and assurances that he would be successful because God is with him. And in the end, Gideon finds peace in that assurance. In the New Testament, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus gives each of us a task, and he gives us similar assurances. When he tells his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Gideon's task here was to save Israel from the Midianites. And we'll read next week about how he accomplished this because God was with him. Our task is to save the world by spreading the good news and making disciples. And we don't accomplish that because of our strength or our abilities. We accomplish that because God is with us, because Jesus is with us. Listen, God will be with us if we are actively pursuing not our will, but his will. If we are actively trying to fulfill his commands. In John 15, 7, Jesus says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This does not mean we can always ask whatever we wish, but if we are in the Lord's will, we can If we are following his will, if we are trying to reach people for God, doors will be opened, prayers will be answered if we align ourselves with his purpose, not our purpose. When we are focused on his purpose, he will give us whatever we need to accomplish it. Our success is not contingent on our strength or our talents, but on our utter reliance on God's strength. God is with us. He is with us, and that knowledge should give our hearts the same peace that Gideon felt as he built an altar and named it God is is Peace. God is with us all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in our life. Please fill us with knowledge, with discernment of your purpose. Help us to align ourselves with us, with it, to bind ourselves to it. So that when we pray, we don't pray for things that we want, that we wish, but we pray for things that we need in order to accomplish your will. Help us to pray for what we need to reach people for you, to spread your gospel, to touch the community, to demonstrate your love. Teach us to pray. Father, today, go with us. Give us your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.